Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Father, I know that I've looked at these verses. I have notes put together. I have illustrations in my mind. But if your Holy Spirit isn't at work here, this is all for nothing. And I think of sometimes how I come to church. Sometimes I come and I've got other things on my mind. Other things that need to get done later in the day. Sometimes I've come in and I'm obsessed because I'm, I'm mad about something. Upset with my wife, maybe upset with my kids. Most of all, I come in upset with myself. Father, if that's, if that's the mindset, then the Holy Spirit can't work. So I would ask that your Holy Spirit would be present this morning. That he would speak powerfully through your word. And that all of us, myself included, would see this as a message that's directed to our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All employers have internet policies. They all have at least four major internet policies. If you go someplace and you get a job, they're going to say, well, this is what you can do. You're going to need the internet to do your job. But there are certain things you cannot do. One thing, we do not want you to go onto any gambling websites. Those are blocked because we don't want you to waste your time gambling when you should be here at work. But it's okay if during you know, March Madness we do the squares or Super Bowl we do the squares because even the company president wants to get in on that action. And they'll also say, okay, you can't go to any alcohol websites because if you purchase something, then it could come back upon us and be a liability. And certainly... You can't go to any porn sites because that would be offensive to people. That could get the company in trouble. And no firearms either. Can't look at anything weapons related. Those four things are always on internet policies. Well, I had a coworker who was going to buy a rifle. And he said, Mike, I want to show you this rifle I'm about to buy. And I said, well, how are you going to show it to me? He says, well, get, we'll get on the internet here at work. I said, you can't do that and go onto one of those sites. He goes, oh, ho, ho. I'm going on incognito. And I said, incognito? What's that? And he says, watch this. So he pulls something up incognito, and there's a picture of a guy in a hat and dark glasses. And he says, this way they can't track me. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. But, you know, he was able to get into some back door and bring up this lever action rifle and show it to me. And I was like, you know, well, that's pretty impressive. But I said, are you sure that the IT department isn't going to get on you about that? To which, you know, he was like, ah, oh, they'll never know. I went and asked the IT department. And they said, huh, all that does is that makes sure that your browser on your computer has no record. But believe me, Google, Yahoo, Bing, whatever your browser is, oh, they have a record. Because every computer has what's called an IP address, internet protocol address, a series of numbers, and if your employer wants to see what you've been doing, they can contact the browser and say, 
tell us what this person's been looking at. See, there, there is no privacy when you're on incognito. There is no privacy when you're on private browsing mode. So if you see that, and maybe you think you have privacy, you really do not. And people have been trying to hide from exposure since time began. Even in Genesis 3, 8 through 9, one of the first recorded incidents of history in man after Adam and Eve sinned, one of the things they did was they said, oh, God said, where are you? I'm calling for you. And they said, oh, well, we, we, heard, we heard your voice and we were afraid, so we hid. People have been hiding from God, hiding from themselves, hiding from other people forever. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of a man who tried to hide. He tried to hide from his relationship with Christ. He tried to go incognito with his relationship with Christ. And we're going to see how he was painfully exposed. Because at times, we try the same trick. We try to hide from God. We try to hide from our relationship with Christ. Sometimes we want to go incognito so that other people don't know that we're Christians. And that's exactly what Peter did in Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to go to verse 53. That's where we're going to start this morning. Now, Jesus Christ had just been arrested at the garden, and now he was being taken to the house of Caiaphas, where both Annas, the former high priest, and Caiaphas, the current high priest, which Annas was his father-in-law, they're going to the house of Caiaphas, and that's where the initial trial of Christ is going to take place. So Jesus was just arrested, and this is where they're going to go. And we're going to see here, as we go through verses 53 to 65, that Peter goes incognito, and he feels, no one will know who I am. So let's see how Peter goes incognito into the courtyard, verses 53 to 54. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Now at the arrest of Christ in the garden, everybody scattered. The 11 true disciples, they had all fled. But here in verse 54, it says, Peter followed him at a distance. This is where Peter had said, I'm going to go incognito. I don't want to be connected with him right now. I'm going to follow at a distance so nobody can connect me with my relationship with Jesus. The fact that I've been following him for the last three years. And so he follows. Essentially, he's saying, I don't want anybody to know. It would be like us saying, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian because right now I am such a hypocrite and there's so much sin in my life that it would just look horrible. So I want to be incognito. And he goes right into the courtyard of Caiaphas. But he did have some help in getting there because there was more than one disciple that followed at a distance. John 18, 15, it said, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. This other disciple was John. Because this disciple, John, was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. 
The other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So initially, they didn't know who Peter was. He was going to stay outside, but John and his brother James, James wasn't there, but that family was known to the household of Caiaphas. Chances are it's because they were well-to-do businessmen, well-to-do fishermen. It even says that Zebedee, their father, had hired servants. So this man was well-to-do. He was connected. Because of that connection, John was able to get in. And John was able to go to the servant girl at the entrance into the courtyard and say, this is my friend. He's okay. Can he just come in and sit in the courtyard? And a courtyard itself, it would be like if we took this building and said that this back wall was the entrance into the house and the courtyard, and this auditorium itself was the courtyard, then you would have two or three stories of housing that surrounded the courtyard. And then the courtyard was used for events, social gatherings, parties, cookouts. So that's how Peter got into the courtyard. And there it says in verse 54, he got right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. Peter was actually sitting with the same guards who arrested Jesus by the fire, warming himself, essentially making himself comfortable with the enemy. Peter was hiding in plain sight. This is a trick I learned from my own dad. Many times the packaging corporation would have fishing outings and he'd go with a large group of people onto a fishing outing and more than once he'd come back and go, I almost got a ticket for not having a fishing license. But what he would do is he would see the ODNR boat coming and then he would just let his line sit there in the water and as soon as the guy got off the boat and came onto the fishing boat to check everybody's fishing licenses, he would have a cup of pop or a cup of coffee in his hand and go right up to the officer and say, hi, what's going on? And he would talk to the guy and warm up to him. And then he would follow the guy around. And the guy said, well, I'm doing tickets for people who don't have licenses. And my dad would go, oh, really? Oh, okay. So he sees my dad just with a cup, no fishing rod. And then my dad said, oh, I've never seen one of these things written out before. Can I sit and watch? And he goes, sure, sure, I don't, I don't care. So this guy's focused on writing tickets to people who did not have fishing licenses. And then by the time he sees my dad, he's saying, well, I already talked to that guy. So my dad would hide in plain sight. I know for certain there were two instances where he avoided a citation for fishing without a license because he hid in plain sight. This is something our own government does. Remember in 1985 when they found the Titanic? No, that was big news. We've been looking for the Titanic, and we finally found it. Here's pictures of it. How many of you really believe we were looking for the Titanic? We weren't. That was a government operation looking for two nuclear submarines that sank in the 60s, the Thresher and the Scorpion that had nuclear weapons on there. So what the government did was they said, well, we're going to go out into the North Atlantic and search but we have to hide in plain sight. 
So we're going to tell the world that we're looking for the Titanic because we don't want the Russians poking around. And we don't want anybody that's going to go diving down looking for free nuclear warheads that were on those two subs that they might be able to use for terrorist activities. So this is how you hide in plain sight. This is done all the time. This is what Peter was doing, going incognito. I'm not going to let anybody know that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to let anybody know that I'm connected with Christ, that I've been one of his chosen 12 for the last three years. And he warmed himself with the guards, and he made himself comfortable with those who hated Christ and wanted to kill him. Did you ever think that you've warmed yourself with the enemies of Christ? You're sitting somewhere with a bunch of people. Now the crude jokes start. And you're sitting there going, oh, I'm uncomfortable with this. But, you know, you don't get up and leave because you want people to like you. And one or two of the jokes, you've got to admit, you're sitting there going, ah, that is kind of funny. And the next thing you know, you find yourself warming up to the enemies of Christ. Now you're sitting there going, I know I shouldn't have crude speech coming from my mouth, but here I am with these guys, and I really want to be liked by them. I'm just going to go incognito because, boy, I, I heard this joke that was real funny. I can be the center of attention. I'm going to tell this. And you go incognito. A lot of people hide in order to make themselves friendly with the world. Or you're watching a movie at somebody's house. It's just a social get-together. And the next thing you know, the very thing that you're watching becomes absolutely blasphemous. There was a movie that my daughter brought into the house. Didn't know anything about it about three weeks ago. We watched five minutes of it, and I had to look at her and say, we, we've got to turn this off. This is, this is blasphemy. This is essentially worshiping Satan. And we, we all agreed, nah, this has got to go. But what if you're there and you're sitting there... And see, that's a family situation. That's easy. But what if you're sitting there watching the same thing someplace else, and you go, well, I don't want to make a stir and pretend that this is really evil and bad. So you, as a good person, a believer in Christ, just decide, oh, I'm just going to go incognito and sit here and bear it, rather than saying out loud, I, I can't watch this, I'm sorry, and actually taking a stand for Christ. There's different ways we all go incognito. Well, in the midst of being incognito, Peter actually got to see little bits of the trial. Maybe hear little bits. Remember, the trial's going on in a room up here in one of the actual residences of the courtyard. Peter is down in the courtyard. He would have heard some of this, but most of this account would have come from John because he was known to the household of Caiaphas, who was able to go up into the rooms where the trial was taking place. And here we see in verses 55 and 56 that here, and we all, we all know these verses, they're familiar, familiar verses where Jesus was, he was guilty before proven innocent. In fact, he was worthy of death before even given a trial, they, they thought. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. 
Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple in three days and will rebuild another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. People lied about what Jesus had said. They took what he said out of context. In John 2, 19-21, where he actually talked about destroying the temple and building it up in three days, it says the context is where he taught that, he was talking about the temple of his body. But they took his words and twisted them out of context. Anyone ever lied about you and what you said? Anyone ever lied about you and your words or where you were or what you did? Well, here the testimonies did not agree and there was no way to take Jesus and say, this is reason to take him and kill him. So Caiaphas, the high priest, takes over. So if there's no evidence externally, then we're going to get the evidence internally and we're going to lead the witness to self-incrimination. No evidence? We'll get Jesus to condemn himself. Verses 60 to 65. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Jesus remained silent. Do you know that's your right too? If you're under arrest, you don't have to talk. Now if you're stopped by the police and they're asking you questions, sure, be as cooperative as possible. But when you're under arrest, they will say, you are under arrest. And the first thing they said, you have the right to remain silent. They'll also tell you, you have the right to an attorney. Once you get under arrest, the best thing to do is ask for a lawyer. Because I found that when I talk, I get myself in trouble. This is what I've learned in 27 to 28 years of marriage. Best thing to do, just be quiet. Don't talk. So here, good advice. If you're under arrest, don't say anything that's going to incriminate yourself. But Jesus knew what was going on here. And even though Jesus remained silent, Caiaphas says, okay, I'm going to go for the $10,000 question now. I've got to get you to say what we think that you've been saying this whole time. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Essentially saying, Are you the coming king? Are you the one who is going to be the ruler? Of, you're the one that the Old Testament has prophesied of, who said is going to be the Messiah that is going to bring in the thousand-year reign. To which Jesus said in verse 62, I am. And when he said, I am, that goes back to Exodus 3, 13 and 14, when God himself, God the Father, gave his name to Moses. When Moses said, who, who should I say sent me? When I go to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? When I go to the house of Israel to say, we're leaving Egypt. God's going to lead us. And they say, who is this God? What's his name? And God said, I am. And this construction here in the Greek, there are two ways to say I am. One way is to say, Amy, in Greek. That means, I am. Another way to say it, which is very emphatic, is to say, Ego, Amy, which is to say, I, I am. 
And when they said that, when Jesus said that, it was his way of saying, I am. I am the Lord. I'm the same guy that we were talking about in Exodus. I am the one who created the world. Yes, I am the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. And he even goes on to say, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he was quoting from Daniel 7, 13 through 14, where Daniel had a vision. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Caiaphas, Annas, the chief priests, they knew exactly what Jesus was referring to here in Daniel chapter 7. Yes, I am the Son of the Blessed One. There earlier, you see the image of the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man approaches him, the Son of God himself. And Caiaphas, Caiaphas responds dramatically. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. What was it like for John to watch that? John, the disciple that Jesus loved, he had to sit there and watch this happen. Now, right after this, they bound Jesus, and it was early in the morning, light had just beginning to, was just beginning to show, and they were going to take Jesus down from this room, through the courtyard, out the front gate, and they were going to take him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, for a trial so that they could condemn him to death. So there was going to be a situation now where Jesus was going to be coming down through the courtyard, right where Peter was. And so let's see how Peter's doing down in the courtyard. And this is where we're going to see that Peter's incognito fails. In verse 66, verses 66 to 68, we're going to see how a servant girl challenges his incognito. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. That's a servant girl. And probably somebody the same age as, like, let's say Haley Dahl. You all know her. You know, teenage girl. She's in charge of the door. She's making sure that only the right people come into the household, people who are known by Caiaphas, that's why she lets John in, won't let Peter in. So this girl came to him, and it says one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. She was really eyeballing him. He looked out of place. Now, has anybody ever looked at you closely and made you uncomfortable? I mean, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say, wow. Dan. Hi, Dan. Hmm. 
little bit of uncomfortableness there, isn't there? Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at you critically. I come back. Dave Jensen. No, you've got too much on me. I'm not going to talk about you. <laughs> she looked at him closely, and I can imagine Peter was sitting there by the fire, <sighs> kind of feeling what Dan was feeling there, kind of like, uh, would he just go away? <laughs> I don't want to be part of an illustration right now. Just go away. And it was unnerving. And she looks at him and says, you were also with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. To which Peter gave a legal form of denial in what he said. I don't know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the entryway. That was like saying, I have no recollection of that event. That's worked for several of our presidents. I have no recollection of that event. That's essentially what Peter was saying. Nope, legal statement. I don't understand. Don't know what you're talking about. And then Peter says, I'm just going to move over to the entryway. Oh, that made him a little nervous. Now, why do you suppose he moved from the fire where it was nice and warm into the entryway? That fire was giving off a little bit of light. People could see who he was. He said, ooh, this isn't helping my incognito. I'm, I'm trying to be part of the enemy right now. I'm, I'm going to move into the shadows. I'll go over to the entryway. And then he goes over to the entryway to the courtyard. Why else? quick way to bug out of there in case I am discovered and I've got a way to run real fast. Well, the servant girl ends up challenging him again. Verse 69, when the servant girl saw him there, and this would be in the entryway, and this is where she worked, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And it says again he denied it. And in Matthew 26, 72, it says, he denied the second accusation with an oath. So he swore. He says, no, I don't know the man. Then it says in verse 70b, it says, after a little while. So it seemed like that worked for a little bit. People said, okay, well, maybe he doesn't. There was a little bit of a break. But then the crowd begins to challenge Peter's incognito. And it said, after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, maybe he loosened up. Maybe he started to talk. Maybe he wanted to try and act like he was friends with them. But those near Peter challenged him. You're, you're a Galilean. You are one of them. Now, how did they figure he was a Galilean? Well, Matthew 26, 73 says, that the crowd said to him, your accent gives you away. See, we all have what they call a Midwest accent. It's hard to think of it, but we do speak with an accent. And then if somebody came in here and they were talking like this, and they started to talk to you, they'd say, well, you'd say, well I know where you're from. You're from New York. It's easy to say you're from New York. I can tell by your accent. Then if you get a little more late, a little more nasal and a little more pointed, 
and you start to talk like this, and you start to say, hey, how are you? Are you going to come up to Fenway? We're going to watch the Red Sox. Says, oh, that guy's from Boston. And then we have the Southern accent. But there's other kinds of Southern accents. Some Southern accents from Virginia and the Carolinas, they tend to be rather nice and rolling accents. And it's a, it's a rather pleasant accent to listen to. And then the farther south you go, when you get into Georgia, things become drawn out and the speech becomes just a little slower. And then if you're from Ritman and you've worked at the salt or the paper mill that used to be down there, then you got the accent that's like this. And I've worked with so many people that were from West Virginia and Kentucky, and I can tell they are because they got a little bit more twang to the way they speak. That's just how it is. And in every school down there in West Virginia and Kentucky back in the 70s, they taught the three R's. Who can tell me who the three R's, what the three R's are? I, Joseph, give that man a candy bar. Hold up your hand, Dan. He said it out loud. Reading, writing, and road to Ritman. I'm glad to see that that joke has not gone away. Plus, that makes up for the fact that I was eyeballing you and making you nervous there in front of everybody. And so they could tell where, where Peter was from just because of his accent. You're not Judean. You're from up north in Galilee. We can tell by the way you talk. And I'm sure when they said this, Peter was not shaken because he's going, oh, that's right, I do have an accent. And at that point in verse 71, it says, he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. He's gone totally incognito saying, I, I, am, I want so badly to just fade into the woodwork and not be associated with Christ that I'll swear that I don't know him. And we read in the scriptures, Mark 14.30 this morning, before the rooster crows two times, you will deny me. That's what Jesus told Peter in the upper room. After he and all the rest of the disciples said, we will never deny you, we will never desert you. And it says, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me. And he broke down and wept. But you know, there was more to the story. Because Peter in, Peter's incognito was totally destroyed here. Not necessarily in front of all the guards and the servant girl. But because Luke gives a little bit of an extra extra explanation about what happened. Because remember, several things happened all at once. While he was denying Christ the third time and the rooster was crowing, Jesus was being led from that upper room where he had his trial down through the courtyard to go out the front gate to be tried at Pilate's. So here in Luke it says, and here we've got just that part of the, uh, we'll read these part of the verses again. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Verse 60 of Luke 22, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. 
The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, today you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Three things happened very quickly. The accusation, Peter's denial, the rooster crows, and then as Jesus is being led out, He's probably as close to Peter as I am to my son Joseph there. Jesus looks at him. The one who said he would never deny me. And Peter's heart is crushed. The incognito is broken. You might be able to stay incognito in front of the enemies of Christ, but you can't be incognito with God. You might be able to make sure when you're on your computer that you're, when you're incognito, that there's nothing that's caught on your hard drive that shows your browsing history. But Google and Yahoo and Bing and all the search engines, they know your IP address. They know exactly where you've been. Here, Jesus said, I know what you've said, and I told you you would say it. He was destroyed. Do you know, we... We get saved, and we say, I'll follow Christ. I'll do anything he wants. I'll follow him to the death. And just like the disciples in Mark 14, 27 to 31 that we heard read, I'll never deny him. I'll never disown him. I'll never hide. I'll never go incognito. Whatever, whatever God wants, I'm there for him. But eventually, we're all tempted to hide and go incognito. We all hide. Do you know, we, we make some, sometimes we, we make a science out of how to hide. We make a science of how to hide with different forms of camouflage. I don't get to hunt as much as I used to, but it used to be that the only camouflage you were able to get was military woodland camouflage, which didn't work great if you're up in a tree with a bow and arrow. And it doesn't work great, you know, when all the leaves are off the trees and you look all greenish, but it does break up the pattern. Well, this helps you to hide a little bit when you hunt, but then, you know, hunters began to develop better types of camouflage. For the person who wanted to bow hunt, then they came up with this, the old tree bark pattern. I've had this since 1987. And I, this is an amazing thing to say. It doesn't quite fit anymore. It's kind of tight right here. But see, it's supposed to look like tree bark, so when you're up in the tree, it breaks up your pattern, and it makes you go incognito so the deer can't see you. Then things got even better as we made a science out of hiding where they came up with this type of a camouflage called a hardwoods camouflage, where it actually has little leaves and branches on it so you can be up in a hardwoods tree. Obviously, deer eat acorns, so this is an oak tree, and you're up in the oak tree figuring, this is how I'll hide from the deer. We make a science out of how to hide. And I think a lot of times we make a science out of how to hide as believers. We go incognito. Ah... There's Ralph. I hate talking to Ralph. 
I'm going to hide. I'm just going to go incognito. Ah, where's the restroom? Yeah, there. I'm going to hide. We go incognito. Ah, no. It's midsummer and they want to do VBS. I can't do another VBS. I know. I got saved. I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, but it's just so much work and I get so tired. No, don't. I, I'm just going to go. I'm, oh, there's the phone call. There it is. You know, the church is calling. I'm not answering that phone because I know what it is. I'm going to go incognito. I'm not here. I'm hiding. Oh, they need help in Sunday school. I'm the person who needs more sleep in the morning, not more time taken preparing a lesson than having to get up earlier to be here to teach. No, I don't think so. I, I'd rather just go incognito. Oh, they want me on the elder board. Oh, that's too much work. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There's one of the elders coming after me. I know they're going to ask me if I'll be able to put my name on the ballot this year. Oh, no. Got to go incognito. Quick, put, put, on some, put on some camouflage so he can't see me, so I can hide. We make a science out of how to hide. We hide from each other. We hide from those great words we said when we're saved. I'll follow you. I'll follow you to the death. Ask me whatever you want, Lord. I'll do it. And then 10, 15, 20 years later, oh, I'm too tired. I just want to go home, watch TV. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Now, it's, hiding isn't always bad. There are people in the Bible who hid for good reason. Elijah, after killing all the prophets of Baal, calling down fire from heaven, and Jezebel threatened him, he ran and hid in a cave. And said, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. God said, no, 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 no. I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. No, come on. I still need you to follow me. But Elijah, Elijah ran and hid. But he didn't deny God. He didn't deny his relationship with the Lord. David, when he hid from Achish, he had Saul hunting him, trying to kill him. Well, Achish also wanted to kill him. So when he got to Achish's village, he said, oh no, I'm discovered. He was all by himself. So what did he do? I'm going to act like I'm crazy. So he went out to the city gates and just started banging his head against the gates. He started babbling and letting his spit drip down his beard and just wrote scribbles in the sand until King Achish just said, get rid of this guy. I've got too many crazy people all around me as it is. I don't need another nut job. So that was the way that David hid. But he wasn't hiding from God. He was hiding from people who wanted to kill him. Even Joseph and Mary were told by an angel Take your new son, Jesus, and go and hide in Egypt for a while until the days of Herod are past. So there are times when you can hide and it makes sense. But at no time did those three, in those three instances, did anybody deny God or disobey God. But Peter went incognito so that he could ignore God. We all say, I'll follow Christ, and I'm talking to me too. When I say we, I've done the same thing. I see the coldness of where it was when I was unsaved, 
and the heat of being saved and saying, I'll follow you, I'll do whatever you want. And then I look to where I gravitate so many times right in the middle, and I go, oh, I kind of like it right here. I'm more comfortable where, you know, there's not much being asked of me, and I'm not being put on the line. After all, I'm 67 now. I'm old and tired, you know? And I find myself being lukewarm. Anybody know what Jesus said about being lukewarm when he talked to the church, talked about the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3? He said, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And when I find myself lukewarm, I get kind of worried. Why do I get lukewarm? Because if I'm hiding, if I'm trying to go incognito, I know that means one thing. I've kind of fallen out of love with Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that, that Jesus looked at uh, the church of Ephesus. In the church of Ephesus, he said in Revelation 2:4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Sometimes I think we go incognito and get a little lukewarm because we forget our love for Christ. Doesn't it happen in marriage? All those first couple years, they're so hot and the romantic love is there. Then after you're married for 20 years, 25 years, 30, 40, you say to yourself, oh, my spouse is more my business partner now than my wife or my husband. Do you see how things sometimes progress? And they go from being cold where you were cold, then you were real hot, oh, this is great, this is... And then it just kind of moves to the center and becomes lukewarm. Relationships, that can happen to relationships. And I think that the challenge here is, boy, sometimes I go incognito. I don't want to be there because that means I'm lukewarm. That means somehow I have forgotten my love for Christ. And that's where we need to look at our own hearts this morning and say, where is my love for Christ this morning? Am I cold? Am I hot? Am I right where I'm supposed to be? Or am I kind of that lukewarm? I just want to go home, watch some TV. I don't want to really have to serve or do anything. You know, hey, I know I should pray and read my Bible, but I just want to watch some TV. Stargate Atlantis is on. I think I'll watch some of that. So that's my challenge for myself, my challenge for all of you. Where is your heart right now as far as your love for Jesus Christ? Have you forgotten your first love? Sometimes I do. Have you gotten a little lukewarm? Sometimes I slip into that. And if that's where we are, and this is a time for us to repent. Would you close with me in prayer?
Father, the message is mostly to me. Because sometimes I feel that I just get lukewarm. And I can't blame it on age. I think I just try to go incognito. Just so I'm not bothered. Just so that I don't have to give up any more time because I want my life to be comfortable. I don't think you called me to a life of comfort. You called me to a life of service. And for all of us here who've asked Christ into our hearts to save us, we've, we've all made commitments to say, Lord, I want to be on fire for you. Father, return that to us. If we've slipped into that area of being lukewarm, return us to our first love. Convict us and let the Holy Spirit burn a fire within our hearts, within my heart, to return us to where we were when we, when we finally saw how desperate our need was for you. How we were sinners who needed a Savior. How we needed you. Return us to our first love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc.org at AOL.com.